It's good to have you with us here on this snowy day and to see this many actually showed up for the first service. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I know you're not running from him. You're running to him because you're here this morning. So praise. And also, I praise the Lord for those of you who are worshiping with us online. Welcome. Welcome to this message. I'm looking forward to this message. We're going to be talking about water because where there's water, there's life. Years ago, dad and I were hunting down in the canyon and, and it was so dry. And while we were up on top and looking for deer, we didn't find anything. We got on the edge of the canyon. We looked down where the stream was running. And dad just turned and looked at me and he said, Curtis, where there's water, there's life. You know, that's what it means when we talk about baptism. That baptismal waters really bring life. Let me say this. So many people today want the experience prior to the obedience. You show me the miracle, I'll show you my belief. And I believe what God's saying is you show me your belief and you'll see the miracle. That's where we tend to miss it today, is we've forgotten how important obedience, it's not new, it's not new, even Jesus said this, this generation looks for a sign, you look for a sign because you want a sign and you, and none will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah, except for, for unless uh, something comes and, and takes you apart and takes you away, you see, here's the thing, you will not see prior to your belief, and if you do, if you do, then you better believe and get on board quickly because what God is desiring is a people who live in his obedience. And as we live in his obedience, our faith actually grows. Our belief system actually grows. And so when I talk about baptism, I'm talking about a step of obedience, a step where the water continues to wash us and purify us and cleanse us as we walk throughout this life. If you know anything about salvation, if you know anything about the word of salvation, sozo, it's a continuing on, a continuing of being saved, if you will. So when we talk about baptism, it's so important that we see the obedience step in front of us. You know, Sylvia Earle, she once wrote, there's plenty of water in the universe without life. But nowhere is there life without water. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul teaches us, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all passed through the waters. There was an identifier. There was a sovereignty that was shown as they went through the water that these are my people. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. It's very important that we understand how God operates with water. In Exodus, the Israelites would have to pass through the waters in order to make it to the promised land. They'd have to go to the waters to get through the desert, if you will. And as the Egyptians are pursuing them, the Israelites are pressed up against the waters. They begin to doubt and find themselves stressed and in chaos. As a matter of fact, they thought that, oh my goodness, we're pressed up against these waters and the desert is on this side and the Egyptians are coming. We're in the midst of the storm. And God said, just cross the waters. You're about to through your obedience, experience the blessing of my promise. You see, they had to go through the waters to experience a land flowing with milk and honey. They had to do it God's way, not their way. 
you'll remember the Israelites and, and the Israelites themselves, they, they talked about when they got in the desert, did God just bring us out here that we may be malnourished? Wouldn't, weren't we better off when we were serving as slaves to the Egyptians? They had their way, but God has his way. And as we follow God in his way, church, great, great things can bring expectations of us and should. Through our obedience, we see God's blessing. Now, here's the thing. When they were pressed up against, and they were in this, when they were pressed up against the waters, and, and there was this storm that was about them, if you will, it looked like they might be engulfed by the Egyptians. They didn't realize they were being purged. Have faith to take that step. Have faith, Moses, to step up. Hold your arms up. Watch what I do with the waters. See, storms purge us. But don't take the presence of the storms to indicate the absence of God. God didn't bring us this far to just leave us, to just drop us. He's going to provide a way for his people, and many of us need to hear that on every level, at every level in our lives today. This nation needs to hear it. This nation needs to be reminded what the sovereignty of God looks like, what a sovereign nation looks like. You see, water is a part of designating his people, God's people, through both his choice of us, and our choice of him. In Acts chapter 2, one of the most popular verses used throughout the new church, if you will, today's church. Everybody's an Acts 2 church. Right? It's, it's just, it's a very popular scripture. And regardless of what church background you may have, maybe you don't have any church background, but of course, this is when God breathed breath into the life of the church and, and, and really the church just expanded. It exploded there in Acts chapter two. And let's pick it up in verse two. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like, like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It wasn't done of man. It was done of the Spirit. And the church was being born of the Spirit of God. Now drop down with me to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, now what's just happened when I skipped all of this is it's actually Peter gives his first sermon, the first message, this long message that I just gave you about how God delivered through Moses, the Israelites, out of slavery. So he's just preached this and then he's talked about who Jesus is and they said, well, we've heard this. We're cut to the heart. They tell Peter, brothers, what shall we do? speaking to Peter and the other apostles. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. The word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change one's mind, which in turn will change one's direction. And remember what gets your attention, gets your direction, and eventually gets your destination. And so what happens here is, is the people had the, the right question to ask. And he's saying, hey, repent. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to see Christ for what he's done for you, that he is the, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world for you. This is who he is, and you're going to have to look for God to deliver you through that lamb and then be baptized. Isn't it funny? He just threw that in. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you, your children, and all who are far off from whom for all whom the Lord will call. 
See, it's interesting, the very first sermon immediately following Peter that, that he gives these two commands, to repent and go to the water. In other words, it's time for God's presence to wash all over you. The Apostle Paul, he's an interesting story in himself. You, you've probably read his story in Acts chapter 9. You know, he's on the road to Damascus. And, and, and he runs into Jesus. He's blinded by a light. He hears a voice, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God changes his destiny, his spiritual direction. It's a form of repentance, if you will. He must find a man by the name of Ananias. In Acts 9, 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and went to the water. I want you to see this. It says he got up and was baptized. He immediately went to the water, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is an interesting story because had it been me, I might have done things a little bit differently. This is why God's will and our obedience to his will is so important in our life. Because when the scales fell off his eyes, Saul hadn't eaten in three days. And I might have said, let me go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then let's go to the water and get baptized. But that didn't even cross his mind. He was baptized first. And then it says, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You see, he went to the water. His obedience was far more important than his experience. You know, in the church world, we call it orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. And not to, not to really throw those big words at you and say, oh, how intellectual Curtis is. I'll disprove that very quickly. <laughs> but I think the church for so many years have ta- has taught and talked about orthodoxy. We, we want to, to, to know things in their correct format. But orthopraxy takes it beyond just knowledge into doing, into the praxy of it, into the doing of what we know and who we know. You know, one of my favorite messages in the Old Testament is to preach on on Naaman. And if you know anything about Naaman, Naaman was an enemy with the Israelites, and he came over and, and captured some people, and Elisha is the prophet of the people of God, and finally he he has this little girl that he's captured, this little, and he's got leprosy. And you probably remember the story. From there, he he tells basically the little girl tells him, "I wish you knew my prophet, or would go and see my prophet. He knows the Lord who could heal you." And so, through all of that story, finally Naaman comes to Elisha's house. He beats on his door. He says, "Hey, hey, I I need you to come out and speak to me." And he's he's actually the the chief. If he's, he's a chief officer of the, the, of the king. And so he has an expectation that this prophet, whom they've just overtaken the people of God, that, that this prophet would come to the door. And, and Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He just tells Naaman, hey, go jump in, in the river of, and, and, and just know this, that as you jump in that river, dip yourself seven times and, and you'll be clean. And he becomes what? He becomes very angry over this. Well, the guy doesn't even come to the door. He's yelling at me through the door. What does he mean? And basically, what he's saying is you're going to have to do this God's way. Well, my goodness, the river Damascus, it's, we've got rivers that are far more clean than that. That's really his response. 
Why in the world would I go and jump in front of my enemies naked seven different times or seven times in order to, for my healing to, to take place, to manifest? Why would I do that? I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't matter if you believe in God and you're one of God's people or you're not, if you don't do it God's way. It is, God is of no benefit to you. None. So he's got his way. He's got his intention for Naaman. And Naaman has to do it God's way. You know, David had to be obedient as well. David heard from the Lord as a small shepherd boy, but there was a a, a big Philistine. There was a giant that kept calling out to God's people. And finally, David asked the question, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? Why doesn't someone step up? And this is interesting. When David does step up, the first place he goes is to a brook. He goes to the water. What do you think he was hearing when he went to the water? When he was listening to the Lord? He picked up five smooth stones is what the scripture says. He had to be obedient to what the Lord was telling him. I know the Lord spoke to him because he even tells... This isn't my notes, but we all know the story, right? He even tells the giant, this very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and the vultures will pluck the very eyes out of your head. Somebody's speaking to him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Those words wouldn't have just come to my mind. I'm going to tell you right now. It's so important that we see the obedience and how God works through obedience. The Apostle Paul, as we just saw, he immediately goes to the water to be baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 35 through 38, another famous story here about Philip and the eunuch. Then Philip began with that very passage, (coughs) excuse me, preaching to the eunuch, explaining the scriptures to him. He told him the good news about Jesus is what scripture says. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. But our primary example this morning, church, our primary example is found in Matthew chapter 3, starting there with verse 16. If you have your Bibles, you ought to look at this because a lot of times when I'm counseling, whether they're children or adults, I always say, look, it's good for you to be baptized because Jesus was baptized. And not only was Jesus baptized, but it pleased his father is what the scripture says. And from there, Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, he says, go into all the world, into all the nations, teach them what I've commanded, baptize them in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. So he commands us. Thank you, sir. It's just water. It's clear. It's just water. Where there's water, there's life. So Matthew 3, 16. Appreciate that, Michael. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Now, this is cool because I keep seeing the Spirit moving every time I talk about baptism in Scripture. Are y'all picking up on this? There's a spiritual aspect that's definitely taking place through the obedience of man. God's already there, but there's an obedience step that takes place that moves the Spirit of God through baptism. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. It pleases God. 
as the people of God, our first and foremost ambition ought to be to please our Heavenly Father. It's a good thing to please your Heavenly Father, and we do that through steps of obedience. See, Jesus' obedience even came before His experience. This began His ministry on this earth. Three-year journey, a three-year journey of miracles, signs, and wonders, but it was His willingness to be to be used for God's kingdom. I was talking to Wade yesterday. We were talking about how God is fully human and fully, or how Jesus was fully human and fully divine. It's a very difficult thing to understand. But what we see through His humanity is a willingness to serve His Father. I mean, you just see it in His humanity. As a matter of fact, He says, I only do, except, I only do the things except for what I see my Father doing. So he wants to do, he wants to please. He listens to his father's voice, and so he obeys his father and his humanity. Sometimes it's hard for us to get that, that even Jesus being fully divine was fully human, and he understood how to please his father. So often we look for excuses of why we shouldn't be baptized. It's amazing to me. So many people look for excuses why we shouldn't be baptized. February 7th, we're going to have a baptism Sunday here, and it's going to be a big deal. It always is. Um, the most uh, we baptized on a Sunday morning is, uh, the most I've participated in anyway, is about 23. And, and I'm praying for 30 at least on that day. But here's the thing. Why should we be baptized, immersed, or maybe even claim, maybe, why shouldn't we just claim our infant baptism? Well, let me answer some questions, and I'll start there with infant baptism. I've studied infant baptism. I come from a denomination that baptizes infants. I've studied it for years and years and years. This is my 23rd year uh, of preaching, and so uh, I have researched this, but I don't claim to be a scholar on, on all of it, but I know where it came from. I understand that entire households were baptized in the book of Acts, but inclusiveness of the age, all right, inclusiveness of the age of the household is undetermined and not defined by scriptures. And we are a scriptural church. Well, then what about the tradition of the church? And there's no doubt that even Tertullian, he writes about this very thing, infant baptism. The rise of this practice early on was due to the thought that the water would wash away the original sin. That was the original thought. Now, I understand that by the 12th and 13th century, that changed, and the, the people of God, the church of God, didn't want their children going to war, so they wanted them baptized so that they would not go. There's, there's several historical references of why. But let me say this. That in the early, early church, it was due to the thought that water would wash away the original sin. And we know that that something has to wash away the original sin, the very sin of Adam. We're all born in, through the Adamic nature. But so if the water washes away the original sin, that it would make sense to baptize infants so that they too would be blameless before God and be a member of the church. But here's the thing. Only the blood of Jesus will wash away the sin of man. That's it. There has to be a faith. There has to be a belief in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Most would argue oftentimes the tradition over the Bible when it comes to baptism. What about fear? 
I think fear keeps a lot of people from being baptized. I really do. It's not natural for a person of accountability age to go under the water in front of others, especially when they're wearing clothes. Well, I guess it's more natural when they have clothes on than if they don't. I didn't think about that when I wrote that. All right. (laughs) So here's the thing. It can be embarrassing. There is no doubt. You're right. If you are shy, if you're impersonal or maybe just nervous, it can cause fear and fear is dangerous. Fear can be a motivator and an eliminator in your life. Some haven't been baptized because they, because of the fear involved. Naaman, I, I believe this is what was going on with Naaman. Naaman really had a fear. When Elijah told him to go to the water and dip himself seven times, he's like, I'm going to have to take my clothes off, dip myself seven times. People are going to see my vulnerability. They're going to see my leprosy. And that's what he's saying. I want you to expose what's going on in you. I want the impurities to be seen. This is why oftentimes with baptism comes confession and repentance. So you lay it out there. It's exposed. It's not natural. But when we do it God's way, he's got something for us that's so much greater. Naaman had to expose himself in front of his enemies. King David, King David, no doubt heard from the Lord, understood the importance of the water. He even speaks about how how great the water is. He starts it off there in Psalm chapter 1 about being planted by the streams of water. Some have expressed not getting baptized because of the fear of sinning again. I mentioned this uh, previously. There is uh, one of the oldest, as a matter of fact, it's the oldest denomination in the United States used to teach and preach, and some of those churches still do, that if you're baptized, that upon your baptism, especially men, if you are baptized, then you should never sin again. Well, good luck with that one. I think this is why Peter said, let each one of you repent and remember your baptism. Sometimes we've got to go back to that place of remembering what God has truly done for us and washed us clean through this. You see, you'll probably sin again. Baptism is only outside, but baptism in the Spirit is a work of the living water continuing to rinse the inside. I don't have time to speak on the baptism of the Spirit in this particular message, let me just say. But just know, God is at work on you and within you through baptism. The third thing, I don't have to be baptized to be saved. My goodness, the thief on the cross. How many times have we gone there, right? So let me just agree with you. Let me just simply say that you probably don't have to be baptized to be saved, but I will follow that up with you do have to be baptized to be obedient. You want to get into the salvation and what all it does. Let me, let me just say this. I don't even know why I'm saying it, but I'm going to follow it up with something else too. Don't die in the shallows after you made it through the deep. Now, you may not understand the importance of, of what I just said, but when you come into sal- a salvation grace and understanding of Jesus Christ and you make him Lord of your life, those are deep waters that you just entered into. That's where you begin to experience the sovereignty of God and being a part of his sovereign people. Of, of the sealed. And, and as you, as you step into that through salvation, you're saying, I am yours, Lord, and you are mine. And this is how we'll live my life, not just here on this earth, but for eternity, I am yours. So why would you go through the deep waters only to drown in the shallows? My goodness. 
It's a shallow argument to say I don't have to be baptized to be saved. Of course, there are denominations and churches that would disagree, but let's say I agree with you. I would say this, you must be baptized to be faithful, to be obedient. Jesus commands two things from us. In the Protestant churches, the majority of them, once you get beyond the Lutheran, the Lutheran has has four sacraments. Catholic Church has seven sacraments. But as you get to, to most of your mainline denominations, there are two sacraments, and they are baptism and communion. And the reason why, not only did Jesus do these two things, but he commands us to do them as well. Jesus wasn't married, and that's why marriage is not a sacrament here. It's very important, no doubt. No, I, I'm, I'm not here to argue that. But I would say that these are, are two things that Jesus not only did, but he commands us to do as well. Obedience is far more important than, than experience. Remember, the kingdom of God in our lives does not happen by accident. Let me just say that again. The kingdom of God doesn't happen in our lives by accident. Hey, a lot of people are stumbling around hoping they stumble up on the kingdom of God, that it shows up at some point in time in their life. And God is saying, yeah, come to me. And as you come to me, here's what you'll see. Uh, I have ways of doing things. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Do what I say. Those are his words. And so, so part of our love, part of our walking into to experiencing his grace and his mercy and, his, uh, and our understanding of what he's done for us are now hearing his voice and what he commands us to do. At one point, Jesus says, this generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except for the sign of Jonah. They keep looking for the experience instead of walking through the obedience. So baptism, why would we want only part of what God desires for us, what he commands for us? You know, baptism, it's a symbol of being born of water in the spirit, being born again. Water is necessary for birth, birth into a new life, birth into a new family, a church, birth into a sonship or a daughtership with the same father. It also represents the sign of the spiritual through the physical. That something spiritual is taking place when you see this physical body begin to go underwater and come back out. So many representations, Colossians 2.12, for when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ, and in baptism, you were also raised with Christ. Let me say something about death in baptism. And, And I get where other churches come along and say, hey, you know, you died to sin, so you should never sin again. That's the old man. That's the part that went down, right? And, and, and so, so that's where that comes from. That's where that thought and that belief. Now, there's not many churches that believe you'll never sin again, right? Jesus died for, for past and, and present and future sins. There's no doubt. But let me tell you what death means in scripture. Death, death never means in scripture to cease to exist. It means simply a separation. Christ died on the cross for you. Revelation 1.5 says His blood washes away our sins. Romans 6 says that we died to sin and no longer live in it. The old nature was crucified with Him. The water is a symbol of washing away the impurities, the old person, the old nature. But I will say this, it doesn't just immediately sometimes go away. The temptation can still be there, and that's where we're still relying on Jesus for our salvation and our ability to overcome. That's called discipleship. See, that's why we don't like to make disciples in churches anymore. We want to make members. We want to make attendees. We want it to be packed houses. 
We want to show just how fruitful we are. But when do we just grind it out and say, this is what discipleship looks like? It looks like obedience. Knowing Christ. So yes, there is a death of the old man because your, 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 your inner man has been saved and it has been washed clean. Then there's the burial. Going under the water represents his burial. Christ was buried and was in the tomb for three days. Our old nature and sin habits are buried with him. And then there's the resurrection part that we see through baptism. When you come out of the water, we are raised with him and now live a new life in Christ Jesus. A lot of people struggle with the resurrection power. It's amazing. The Apostle Paul talks about this resurrection power, this resurrection power that we receive from Jesus' resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? Within us. And greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. There's a resurrection power, and some of us struggle with that. But here's the thing. Through our obedience, he begins to give us revelation of how to walk in that resurrection power. He will convict us when we don't. He will strengthen us and encourage us to be overcomers. You know, if you never overcome anything in your life, if you think just walking into Christianity is going to be the easiest thing or walking into an acceptance as Jesus of your Savior, now everything's put right. It is in your spiritual man, but let me tell you something. This world is is tough, and it's not going to be easy, and it can be dangerous, and there will still be storms, and there will still be challenges. But here's the cool thing. We don't depend upon our strength. We depend upon His. So church, let's wrap this thing up. My first point. (laughs) 29 minutes into the message is this. Be baptized. Be baptized. Obedience is more important than experience. You'll experience when you obey. Like I said earlier, you may not see because of the scales of disobedience that are still on your eyes. If you want to see God move, begin with doing what he says to do. Jesus said, why do you call me call me Lord, yet do not do what I say? The water waits, but more importantly, the Lord waits. The second thing I would say is this, repent. Repentance is a gift to the church. I mean, we see repentance all throughout Scripture. I mean, Second Chronicles, everybody's posting that one right now. If my people would pray, you know, humble and submit themselves to the Lord. And it's so true. If we'll turn from our wicked ways. Repentance is one of those gifts that we can say, hey, Lord, I'm still struggling here, but I've changed my mind. This struggle will not always have me because you are in me now. And I choose to obey you. And as I obey you, it's now your strength that's going to cause me to be an overcomer. Because we cannot be called overcomers in this life if there's nothing to overcome. And the Lord wants us to be overcomers. We must trust that God's ways are best for us. As Paul stated, renewing of our minds daily is necessary. We can be stuck in our traditions. We can be stuck in our understandings or lack thereof. But God's will and ways are always what are best for us. And the last thing is simply this, expectation. I have an expectation that when I obey my Lord, I'm going to see something that I've never seen before. I'm going to experience something that I've never experienced before. All of a sudden, I move from the temporal to the eternal. 
And God's desire is to show me and to show us as the body of Christ who He is and what His will is in this life for His kingdom. That's His desire. I have an expectation to see that. When Jesus comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And bam, ministry kicks off. He's moving now. Now we can expect to see the things of God. The natural puts on the spiritual. Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit just as there is one Lord. One hope of our calling. There, There is all of this. What is that calling in your life? The Lord wants to reveal that, but that's revealed through our obedience. You don't want to know what the answer is for this nation? For God's people to start being obedient to what He's called us to be and to become one nation under one God. What does He want for our church? The same thing. For us to be obedience and the way that we obedient and the way we do that is we put our hope in here. We listen and we obey His words. Then we can begin to expect, have an expectation to see the things of God in our life. So I'm going to end it there. Are you seeing the things of God in your life? What are the things of God? Do we even know where to start on those? I like to think our church does because this is a church that disciples those things of God. We give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothing to those who are naked. But it goes even beyond that. We encourage and we equip the saints for service. We help people find the one hope of their calling. We look for the the ways and things of God, not just behind these walls, but most importantly out there. Equip the saints for service. For some of you this morning, it's time to go through the waters. I would be thinking about that date coming up to experience all that God has for you in this life and the life to come. I've always said if we don't want to do things on this side of the river for His kingdom, why do we think we would do them when we cross the river to the other side? The kingdom of God does not happen by accident, church. It happens on purpose for His purpose. Are you on purpose for God? Would you please stand? I'm going to ask the altar team to make their way forward this morning. And as they make their way forward, just know that we're here to pray for you, to pray with you on this snowy, cold morning. For those of you online with us, there's a, there's a number there you can text for prayer as well. P- please keep our staff busy all week. Pray. So wonderful, eternal power that we, resurrection power that's within us to do those things. But would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you, Lord for the waters of life. Because where there's water, there is life. And Father, we just pray that that water that you speak to and you speak about, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, springing up into eternity, washing us clean from the impurities of this life into the things that are of the, of the Spirit. Lord, go before us, now and forevermore. And may we hear your voice and choose to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.